Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Bob Pearlberg on USC baseball traditions and the new era under coach Andy Stankiewicz. From World Energy, Gary Grimes on a revolution in sustainable aviation fuel made from bio-waste without greenhouse gas emission. This is a world game changer. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hode. Good Sunday evening, Angels family out there listening tonight. It's my privilege to speak to you on air, and I am very grateful for your time. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Let me start by teasing my second half hour here on Angels Radio. When you think that the world is falling apart, I want you to remember that humankind still has a brain, and there are people out there that are solving some of the world's most urgent and dramatic problems. We are going to meet a guy who is representing a huge company that is working with the U.S. government to change the face of aviation. And I cannot even tell you how exciting this is. It's something that you probably haven't heard of. It is called it is called SAF, which stands for Sustainable Aviation Fuel. And my guest in the second half hour is going to tell you about all of our planes that are going to be flying on crops, biofuel, crops, not, not fuel that is causing, causing greenhouse gas emissions. And it's working. But that's coming up later. We're starting off with some sports memorabilia, baseball, nostalgia, and history. And it's all very exciting, ladies and gentlemen, listening tonight to the conversation. My guest has been involved in baseball pretty much his whole life. He's also been a broadcaster early on, and when he went to USC, he was on KUSC radio because he announced and uh, and did, uh, I believe he did, play-by-play uh, -play and other things with the baseball team at SC. And when he was there, that team was hot. It was, it was a world champion team. His name is is Bob Pearlberg, but he goes by Bobby, I believe. I'm not a friend of his, so I'm just guessing from the emails I've gotten. And for the past almost 50 years, he's devoted his life to a communications business. He's been a very successful uh, entrepreneur and businessman with a company called RAP, or RAP Communications. And he has also been, he has also been uh, the past president of the Trojan... Let me get this right. It's called the Trojan Baseball Alumni and Boosters Association. And I'd like to say hello to Bobby Pearlberg. Are you there? Friend. Are you there? I can't hear you. Yeah, you cannot hear me? Now I can. I'm here. How are you okay. doing? I consider you my friend. Well, thank you very much. How are you doing tonight? Just doing fine, and I'm so pleased that you called and were able to do this. It's very exciting for me. Thank you. Well, listen, I got the email. I saw the flyer, and I said, we have to do this. It is, I mean, it has to be on Angels Radio, number one, and we'll get to that in our conversation. But also, you have so much to share with the audience that loves baseball. Tell me, tell me, tell our people listening about the event that you're planning that's coming up, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty. Okay. Uh, 2008, a bunch of guys, uh, Justin Data would be a name you might know, Don Buford, Shelly Andrens, guys that had played ball at USC, some of them major league ball too. Um, they, they decided that no one seems to know the success that USC baseball has had over the years. I'm not sure whether your listeners realize this, but USC was named the baseball program of the century that's a hundred years and coach rod dato uh, may he rest in peace was named the coach of the century but the focus today is all on current maybe it should be i think we should build upon the legacy and the heritage that 
that all of us who are part of USC baseball has. So we created this group with the thought twofold. One was to raise the money for USC baseball. That's kind of a secondary purpose. Uh, USC pays 99% of the bills, so that's not the most important thing we do. But we wanted to develop uh, an awareness of and a following for USC baseball and maybe ultimately get some people to come out to what used to be called Bovard Field and now is Dado Field and uh, to support the current team. So we started uh, with our first event was a banquet 12 years ago, and our banquets are a little bit different than others because we're not just celebrating the current team. Our current coach, Andy Stankiewicz, is new to USC and is going to be absolutely wonderful, you know, a, a real good pro uh, heritage and the enthusiasm and the knowledge and the skill to really make a huge difference. Uh, so the team will be there. Andy and his coaches will be there. But we're also going to have four really spectacular honorees. The night is November 6th. It's a Sunday. It actually begins around 3.30 in the afternoon on campus. It's over at approximately 7 o'clock at night. It's dinner included. And then let me tell you about who we're honoring and how it ties in so effectively to um, the Angels. And by the way, I've been an Angel fan since 1954. Is there anybody out there as old as I am? I there's a few. There's talk. a few, but not too many. Yeah, I believe it. Bobby, you gotta, you got to hold on. You know, before we get into the honorees, I want to ask you some questions about uh, f uh, following up on what you've said about the baseball team being a standard bearer and how things have changed. Uh, get into more of the nitty-gritty of, of what has changed and how it has changed and why it has changed. Well, I, I think largely the competition throughout the country has upgraded significantly, as well as always been very steep competition in California, Arizona, and the Western states. And for whatever reason, it's been difficult for USC and some other private schools with high tuition and fairly high entrance uh, requirements to compete. That sounds like an excuse, and I don't mean to offer it that way. Uh, we need to be able to compete with uh, any, any school anywhere. But there are schools in the Southeast Conference that will draw 10, 15, 20, up to 30,000 people for a game. The theory is always, well, what do those people have to do if it isn't go to a college baseball game, whereas in Southern California, it's a little more difficult. I don't know that it's that simple. I just know that we have not been a top-tier program since we won the national championship in uh, 1998. We've had a couple good years since then, but not a lot, not enough. And in no way am I trying to throw focus back to the uh, 20th century. I'm just trying to distinguish between a program that has won 12 national championships. No other school has won seven. USC has 12. Now we need to compete. And I think with uh, Coach Stankowitz and the fellows that he has on his staff, he's going to find a way. And I think we will be very competitive. And the rules are changing, too. And with NIL and other uh, transfer portals and so on, I think we're going to be able to compete at a higher level than we have in recent years. So we'll see. The 23-year dry spill between 1998 and today, that can't just be because of location and high tuition. Tell me, I don't follow USC baseball per se, so I can't give you names, but what, what players have gone on in the last couple decades to go into the pros? Any and who? Oh, yeah, we have three or four guys in the major leagues right now. Uh, don't ask me for names. I'm not good at that. But uh, pitchers, relief pitchers, Ian Kennedy, uh, Brad Boxberger, at least two others. We've put more people in the major leagues than any other school in the country. Now, I'm going back into the, dec you know, into the decade of the 90s and 80s and 70s and 60s, as well as current. But okay. Something like 118 guys from USC have played in the major leagues. And their names that you may be familiar with, for instance, a Mark McGuire, uh, a Tom Seaver. Fred Lind is the only one that ever won an MVP and a Rookie of the Year in the same season. Yeah, those Randy are Johnson, those are huge, huge baseball names, all of them. Yeah. yeah. So we have that pedigree. We just have to renew it. We have to keep building upon it. And we will. Now, you know, talk we guys that we have a guy, for instance, uh, last name is Newtbar, playing for St. Louis now, an outfielder in his really first full season. 
hitting about 235. I think he has 18 home runs, and he's going to be a star. It just takes time, but that's the USC uh, athlete that probably left school in 2019 or 20. So it's pretty current. Okay, so the new coach is coming in. What kind of time frame is considered possible to turn a team around? How many years will it take? How many drafts? How many new players? How many seasons? He's going to hate me for this. Have you followed USC football at all this year? Somewhat, but uh, what does that have to do with it? You've got to, you've got to be more specific. Well, last year we said goodbye to our uh, coach, football coach, and the coaching staff, and we brought in a, a young man who had an excellent uh, record at Oklahoma. And last year, uh, under the old regime, we won four games and lost eight. This year we're 5-0. and oh. So how long does it take to turn it around? In the case of football, it's happening overnight, incredibly. Well, that is, that is incredible. I was going to say it's still really early in the season there, but, but it is, that's an incredible statistic. Will it stay that way? Any reason well, to ranked, think not? Well, in football, we're ranked number six in the country. Now, we were at the ball game last night. We watched and we scratched our heads. It was like, why didn't we clobber Arizona State, who had just fired their coach? and replace some of their staff members, and we're going through a, a real period of turmoil. But we won the ball game, and uh, we have a big game this coming uh, Saturday at Was- against Washington State at the Coliseum. If we win that, you know, we only won four last year. We've got five already. We have seven more games to go, and we're ranked sixth in the country. So it can't get much better than that. They just have to keep it going. For baseball, because of the transfer portal, we're going to have, uh, I think I saw a roster of about 35 guys on the 2023 team. I would imagine of the 35, probably 30 are new to the program. Now, how in the world does any gifted coach start over? I mean, how do the Angels do it when they have the best outfielder in, I think, the world and the best pitcher uh, slash hitter in the world? And so far, the Angels haven't figured a way to take advantage of those two and turn it into a, uh, a pennant and a World Series. I hope they do. I sure hope they do. So I can't tell you it's going to be one season. I just can tell you that I have a feeling that we're in very, very capable hands with a coach that's had major success in the minor leagues and uh, coaching uh, college ball. And I, I expect great things. But I don't want him to hear this broadcast. Well, I'm predicting they're number six in the country because that's pushing it a little bit. Well, we won't, we won't, uh, we won't call them up. Although our producer in the other uh, end of the booth here is looking for a phone number as we talk, so you never <laughs> know what's going to happen, Bobby. I'm going to tell you. Listen, what about what about your Angels connection? You talked about coming here as a, I believe you said you were nine years old in 1954. Tell me about that day. Okay. Well. I had uncles. One was an All-American shortstop uh, the same year that Harvey Keene was an All-American shortstop, the same year that Dick Grote was an All-American shortstop. They had three shortstops that were All-American. My uncle's twin brother, Stan, was an all-coast second baseman. They signed with the Yankees in 1952. We moved here in 54. I was a baseball fan. I got to go to Yankee Stadium and meet Mickey and Yogi and Hank and Whitey and Casey and Joe Collins, and, and on and on and on. So I was hooked. When we moved to California, it was USC. And then there were two pro teams. Again, you, you got to go back a ways for this. The Los Angeles Angels were a Cubs franchise, the, the Wrigley family, played in downtown uh, Los Angeles, I think on Avalon Avenue maybe. These are the days of Steve Bilko. I have a Steve Bilko autographed bat, and El Tappy was a catcher, and I come up with some other names. And then there's a team called the Hollywood Stars, and they were more uh, glitzy, glamorous, had many more stars on that team, both uh, actors, actresses, producers, directors. They were the headline. So for whatever reason, I just became a supporter of the underdog, thinking it was just more fun to uh, support the underdog, and the Angels were the underdog. And that continued to when the Dodgers came out in '58. And the Angels, I don't think, were created until maybe 1960. But I always I loved the Dodgers, you know, had season tickets to Dodger games, but always until a couple of years ago found ways to get to Anaheim Stadium uh, 
two, three times a year, and I never miss a day without uh, looking in the – I still read newspapers. And two, three times floor. a day is not enough, man. You can't just do it two or three times a day yeah. and come on this station. Well, you, I know who won today. That's uh, right. Somebody hit the 39th home run. Uh, That's right. 78 guys. So uh, it, and the Angels are my favorite team. I can't get over it, and, uh, and I'm just waiting for the day when they win another pennant and a World Series, and it's coming. They'll figure a way to do it. You're absolutely uh, right. It will It will yeah. come. Listen, you had a baseball career a bit of your own. I want to hear about that. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come right back, and I want to hear a bit about your baseball career. I understand that you were the captain of the team, or at least the JV team, I believe, and maybe the Frosh team, too, at USC. So I'm giving you a heads up about that, and then we're going to dive into the event and who's coming and why it matters. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's Bruce Cook, and it's the conversation live tonight with Bobby Pearlberg. We're talking baseball history. We'll be right back. Angels Radio. AMA 30. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hoag Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hoag.org forward slash epilepsy care. Not long ago, we would walk on the sidewalk in the sand. Remember, all we did was care for each other. But the night was warm, we were bold and young. And we are back. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. It's the Bruce Cook Conversation. I wonder where they got that name. Anyway, it's Angels Radio, AMA 30, KLAA, and tonight we're visiting with Bobby Pearlberg. We're talking USC baseball, we're talking Angels baseball, and before the commercial break, I asked Mr. Pearlberg if he would share a little bit of his uh, sports history and background as a player. Bobby? It's a, called a short story. <laughs> <laughs> Not a short stop, but a short story. Uh, short stop of Little League. Um, Actually, Jim Palmer was one of was my pitcher when I was his shortstop. Uh, got to USC, was the tenth man on the freshman team. In those days, freshmen could not play varsity. Hit 278, hit a home run at Chino Prison. We had two left-handed pitchers. Uh, Gordy Newton signed with the Phillies. Uh, John Herbst signed with the Dodgers. I don't think either of them ever made it to the big leagues. But we won our last 16 games. We were 18 and four for the season. I've never had an experience like that. We put on the uniform, it said Trobates. That was the Trojan version of freshman year. And uh, boy, you go to Westwood or anywhere, and you just knew you were going to play better than they did, and we did. Sophomore year had a team called the Spartans, essentially junior varsity. So we were on the varsity, but I was never going to play as a sophomore. Got to work out with the team pretty much every day, but we had probably a dozen games. One of the games was a guy named Tom Seaver was pitching, just getting in work. I mean, he was clearly a varsity player, but he was getting in work. Uh, I think Justin Dato, the coach's son, was a second baseman. Uh, two guys on base, they walked Justin Dato to get to me. But Justin, great ball player, not the strongest hitter, probably a 280 hitter, uh, line drive hitter. They walk him to get to me. That tells you how good I was. Uh, this place was, this game was at Olive Recreation Park in Burbank, and a fellow last name was Butcher threw a high fastball, a pitch that I absolutely could not hit at a speed that I couldn't get around on, and the ball rolled 440 feet to straightaway center field, grand slam home run. Bruce, that's oh my God. Yeah, that's it. I broke, broke my wrist uh, playing that year at uh, university, and my dad decided, uh, rightfully so, that my career was not going to be in baseball, so I became the uh, uh, USC, KUSC radio director in uh, news and sports and announced the uh, USC baseball games. And, well, uh, that's my baseball career. Yeah, pretty impressive just the same, and thank you for taking us back a ways and sharing that. I, I know that uh, regardless of the end, the the process was incredible for you and for any student athlete having that experience. 
Okay, let's talk about what you're doing to honor the four special guys that are going to be at your November 6th event at USC. Uh, let's start with um, let's start with uh, Marcel Lachman. Marcel Lachman was the manager of the Angels for two or three years, pitching coach for several years, pitching coach consultant to the president recently, also was an assistant coach uh, at USC, pitching coach, and had, I think, two or three years in the big leagues. And his brother, Rene, had a big career uh, as a manager uh, in the big leagues. Marcel has provided us with a list of some of the guys he would love to see. And this is the evening that you want to go because some of the guys he probably hasn't seen in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. A guy like Dave Van Gorder, who was a major league catcher, uh, backup catcher for three or four years. And Dave's going to be at the banquet. He probably hasn't seen Marcel in 30 years, probably maybe longer than that. And he has donated a dynamic, outstanding picture of him at home plate making a tag on a guy named Tony Gwynn. If anybody wants to see the finest picture you've ever seen, Tony Gwynn getting tagged out of the home plate by Dave Van Gorder. It's available. It's for sale. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of angels that will, or former angels that will be there, either as a result of Marcel and his relationships, or another honoree is a fellow named Ron Salisbury. And Ron Salisbury owns 10 restaurants that are in the El Cholo uh, Mexican restaurant family. Just a super guy. And we decided to honor him because he always says yes. He walked through the room one night and we said, gee, we have a youth clinic coming up. And, you know, it's a bunch of kids, 100 kids from South Central L.A. And they'll want to eat. It's a free clinic. We do it just as a, a public service. And he said, fine, I'll donate the food. And he's been doing that for 50 years. Actually, he's in the 69th year, I think, managing the chain. So we decided, let's give him an award. And then he tells me, well, you know, you got to get a hold of John Robinson, the football coach from USC. you got to get a hold of George Raveling, the basketball coach. Those are my good buddies. And then he gave me the names of some people that, you know, that are important to him, that if they could come, people like Willie Frazier, uh, Brian Harvey, Jim Abbott, Chuck Finley, Kirk McCaskill, uh, executives like Billy Bavese, Bob Fontaine, Jeff Parker, Tim Mead, um, these, are, these folks are all going to be at the banquet, or at least they intend to be at the banquet as of now. And it's just going to be a, a, just a neat, neat, neat reunion. There are a couple of other honorees. If you've ever heard of Bill Spaceman Lee, he's a 75-year-old left-handed pitcher, uh, one of the all-time greatest USC pitchers. I think he had three years in a row with the Boston Red Sox, where he won 17 games each year. He's still pitching. At 75 years old, he pitches for the Savannah Bananas at the South. There's a, there's a team we want to know more about. Well, you ought to see some of these antics that we see. But Bill is called Spaceman, and I guess when you listen to him for obvious reasons. He also was a presidential campaign, uh, presidential candidate 35 years ago on the Rhino ticket. I don't remember voting for them, but actually I think it was a Canadian ticket running in the United States. So lots of things that Billy does. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's really entertaining. So he's going to be at the banquet. He's getting the most valuable person award because he's a he's our spaceman. Okay. And, and your and final number, your final uh, awardee is John Jackson Jr. And if you follow USC football and baseball, John was an All-American football player who went on to play, I think, four years in the NFL. And I'm not sure whether he was All-League or not. I think he was All-Conference. Uh, baseball player, also all academic, and he's on uh, USC football broadcasts uh, and just a super, super guy. He's had some health issues. He's come back for them, from them in just amazing fashion. So uh, he's getting uh, what we call the Jay Jaffe Spirit of Troy Award because essentially he's just USC personified and you cannot keep him down. And he's got a list of people that, I mean, he knows everybody because he's been part of the university for probably more than 30 years in one way or another. So those are the four people. They've each given us lists of people to, you know, come to the banquet, and a lot of those people are going to be there. It's, it's going to be a blast. So for a baseball fan, and in particular USC, perhaps baseball fan, this is a must-do. Um, I also understand that you'll have the new coach, Andy Stankowitz, there to meet and talk to people, which should be interesting. And yep. uh, 
people listening, you got to go. To find out more, you go to usctrojans.com slash TBA, uh, TBAB banquet. Let me do that again. usctrojans.com slash TBAB banquet. I think it's $140 a person, which sounds like a very fair price. And they also need any kind of underwriting or backup that anybody would like to make. What What do you want to finish us off with, Mr. Pearlberg? I think uh, what I would like to say, first of all, thank you very, very much for giving me this opportunity. It's been really a kick. Anybody that's interested in finding out about the banquet, my phone number is 310-849-6959. And I can give you all the information, send you a form if you need it. Uh, we don't make money on the $140. That's maybe a break even. We make money on, uh, so for instance, the Pedro Martinez signed Hall of Fame jersey that will be available. And, uh, playing golf with Andy Stankiewicz and, and Andy Enfield at Hillcrest Country Club that will be available. So the 140 is the super value, and we hopefully have people that will spend more money. Call me at 310-849-6959, and I'll be happy to plug you in with all the information. And, Bruce, Thank you so much. Listen, it was a great pleasure to to have you on, and I think the audience enjoyed every minute of it. So all the best. Um, everybody's going to show up. All these angels you mentioned, I bet they'll all be there and more uh, to support the team, support the history and the legacy, and you for all the work you do. So onward and upward, Guy. Thank you again for coming on Angels Radio tonight. My pleasure, Bruce. Thank you. Time to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the Bruce Cook Conversation live from Angels Radio, AMA 30, KLAA. When we come back, we're going to shift gears and talk about something that's going to blow your mind. Angels Radio, AMA 30. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Bruce Cook. It's the Bruce Cook Conversation live tonight. Angels Radio AMA 30 KLAA. At the start of our broadcast tonight, I teased you that I was going to blow your mind with our second half-hour guest because I will bet you, although I don't know how I do that on radio since I'm here and you're there, but I will bet you that most of you listening have never heard of what we're about to discuss. And I'm here to tell you tonight, and remember you heard it here on Angels Radio on the conversation, that in the next few years... We are going to make some dramatic progress in solving one of the world and America's biggest problems with greenhouse gas emissions. And it's coming from a joint effort between the U.S. government and private industry that is going full speed ahead with everything they've got, especially brain power, to create sustainable fuel that does not emit greenhouse gases. And they're doing it first with huge jet planes, both military and civilian. Let me read something to you from the executive summary from a company called World Energy, and we're going to meet a representative from that company in just a minute. But let me read this as if I don't mess it up. The Sustainable Aviation Fuel Grand Challenge is a U.S. government-wide approach 
to work with industry to reduce cost, enhance sustainability, and expand production to achieve 3 billion gallons per year of domestic sustainable aviation fuel production that achieves a minimum of a 50% reduction in life cycle greenhouse gas emissions compared to conventional fuel by 2030 and 100% of projected aviation jet fuel use or 50, 35 billion gallons of annual production by 2050. Okay, what does all that mean? Let me boil it down before I introduce you to my special guest. It means that World Energy and others and the U.S. government are growing crops, ladies and gentlemen. They are turning into biofuel. They are taking fields of lettuce, and they're going into forests, and they're foraging forests, and they're growing algae, and they are converting it to fuel that does not emit greenhouse gases. On that, let me welcome and introduce you to my guest tonight. His name is Gary Grimes. He is the Director of Sustainability and Technology of World Energy. It is, he is focused on environmental issues, on carbon neutrality, green energy, innovation, and impacting positive change for corporate leaders committed to net zero goals. Gary Grimes, welcome to Angels Radio. Good evening, Bruce. Uh, great. Thank you for the introduction. Oh, one thing I want to clarify, though, we don't have any lettuce yet that we're turning the jet fuel, but we are working on a lot of uh, crops and uh, cover crops and things that can, can well, I, jet fuel. Well, I want you to no turn lettuce, lettuce. I want you to turn lettuce into fuel, Gary. What are you waiting for? So, we, I think we have some, some plans that could do that. Ultimately, uh, we're looking at, uh, at waste materials, ag waste and things, uh, cellulosic. Uh, well, that's okay. Agricultural oil. waste yeah. will count for used lettuce. I don't yeah, mean to make. Will. I don't make. I don't mean to make fun. This is serious business, uh, Mr. Grimes. It is. Um, it is. How new is this, or how old? How long has it been around? Because I don't think a lot of people know about it. No, I think uh, we're fairly small in this area. We were the first in the world to make a jet fuel this way. Jet fuel is a kerosene that, that most. Uh, people are familiar with the, the odor around airplanes and jets at the airport. That's the odor that you smell is a kerosene, and that odor is from aromatics in the kerosene. It comes from fossil oil under the ground. So we make uh, an equivalent of fuel. It doesn't have aromatics in it today, so it doesn't have that odor. It's, it's clear. It's clean. It's safe. It's aromatics in general are generally sort of cancer-causing agents. Uh, like uh, benzene at the gas pump. When you pump, there's a little logo there on, in California, a sticker uh, that, that says it may have uh, cancer-causing agents. So uh, gasoline, for example, is about 1% aromatics. In it. So what we make is a very, very clean fuel. And we started that six years ago in L.A. area and was supplying uh, United Airlines with our primary customer at LAX. They had exclusive rights uh, domestically. We also sold to KLM out of LAX to fly it into Europe. Uh, and we we had uh, JetBlue is currently now one of our customers as well. This is uh, let me inter not, let me interrupt you. Go ahead. Sure. I know that in recent weeks and months, you have been flying United Airlines across the country in this using this kind of fuel. Tell tell the listeners about it. Uh, yeah, what you're referring to there probably is we had a flight uh, back in December. Uh, it was a fascinating flight. We had the CEO on board the CEO of United Airlines on board as a passenger with uh, a number of dignitaries. Uh, and we flew from Chicago, that's their headquarters, United Airlines, into Washington, D.C., uh, Dulles Airport. I'm sorry, Washington National. Washington National. And uh, I did a little uh, press thing there as well. And we had 100% of our fuel uh, with some aromatics, um, uh, nature, natural aromatics in this case, in one tank, and we had regular jet fuel in the other tank. And it was an experimental flight uh, put together uh, by United Airlines to make this event happen, and it was, it was fascinating. And, and we landed properly, no, no problems along the way. And frankly, I think what I've read, uh, the pilots uh, think our fuel can work as good as, as any other fuel. And, and that's in a pure state, or a relatively pure state. So currently what we blend into LAX is 70% uh, regular jet fuel, 30% of our biofuel together. Uh, we can go up to a maximum of 50%. 
uh, of each fuel today, uh, and we don't push that uh, as of yet. We'll, people are pushing it further. But currently, we don't make enough of this fuel. We're challenged to, to try to get more production out uh, as fast as we can. So we sort of have Wright Brothers status. There is no one else in the Americas making jet fuel this way. And the president did issue a grand challenge last year for 3 billion gallons of this. What we made last year was a 5 million. So it's a, a, a big stretch to go from 5 million to 3 billion gallons. Uh, but worldwide, there is another um, producer. Uh, it's a company, company from Finland. Uh, Neste is the name of the company, and they actually can supply some in to, um, to San Francisco Airport as well from the water. And they have uh, locations in Singapore and Rotterdam and Finland uh, that they'll be producing this jet fuel here before long. Let me ask so we'll you more of it. Let me ask you, without getting too scientific and losing our audience because they'll not understand. What's in this fuel? What is in this biofuel, this percentage that is going to LAX that is being mixed with regular fuel? What is in it? That's the first question. And the second question is, how is it made? Third question is, where is it made? Sure. So let's start with what it is to begin with. These are natural oils that instead of oil out of the ground, we take natural oils, uh, waste oils in particular. What we're using right now is we're using a lot of, of waste fat from uh, beef processing, uh, essentially meat packing plants uh, that's not being used uh, for, for anything else. And we, uh, so that's a triglyceride, right? We all know the term triglyceride. Uh, tri meaning three, so glyceride meaning it's fat. And what we do is we um, essentially run it into our process. We have a refinery here in, in Southern California, Paramount, uh, California, just north of the 91 freeway. Uh, we are one of the smaller refineries in the L.A. area, the last of the small refineries in the L.A. area. And we um, essentially converted pro part of that refinery over, they said, six years ago. It took a while to get our permits and things. So it's been a process of about, about a, a decade uh, that we've been going through this process. And that's our plant A. We are now working on plant B on that site, um, and we have plans for plant C. Uh, it's been announced in, in Houston. And we're also, because our focus is, is uh, low-carbon fuels, and, and our company has more than uh, two decades in the business of, of low-carbon fuels, starting with biodiesel. And we also announced um, low-carbon uh, hydrogen, effectively, uh, coming in, in uh, hopefully not too distant future, uh, in Canada to uh, supply. We had a, uh, a press event there a few weeks ago with the Chancellor of Germany and the Prime Minister of Canada at our site in Newfoundland where we will be making this, um, this hydrogen uh, and, and essentially transferred across the Atlantic to, uh, to meet German demand. So we're in a number of places, a number of different kinds of fuels trying to, to solve the problem with, with low-carbon fuels. You said that World Energy is one of the smaller refineries. What about the cost of starting something like this how is it being? How is it being dealt with? It's very expensive, and, and uh, we are not a big company. Frankly, we're a relatively small company compared to the big players in, in the oil industry. You know, we're not nearly so. We're a few hundred people compared to the thousands and tens of thousands of companies like BP or Shell or uh, Marathon or Valero. Um, uh, our focus is, is just this kind of low carbon fuels. We're not focused on. on anything that's fossil-based at all. So we're unique in that respect. Uh, the, the big companies are trying to follow us now a little bit. I would think they would. Got, uh, plans to convert over a couple refineries in Northern California. Both Marathon and Phillips 66 are making conversions of their refineries in the Bay Area. Um, they'll be online in a couple of years as well. And I'm, they're talking about starting with diesel fuel, uh, but I think they'll be shifting to uh, aviation fuel, the jet fuel, as soon as they can. The aviation fuel is, is a very hard uh, fuel to replace. The, the planes today that are made by Boeing and Airbus pretty much need to have kerosene to fly. They don't have uh, an option to put um, to essentially electrify them, put batteries in the wings. It's, it's nothing like that can be done. Frankly, the physics don't allow it. The weight of the batteries would, wouldn't make that work. So uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, they have a real need for jet fuel, and we're trying to green this up as quickly as we can. And then biofuel looks like it's the fastest way to get there. It's a, a transitional fuel until we come up with something better, uh, perhaps hydrogen down the road somewhere. 
you know, like fuel cells. I, I used to have a fuel cell car, and so that can be done for, for ground transportation. Uh, that's a, it's a great fuel, uh, and we're going to see a lot more hydrogen in the future here, too, in California. Your and perspective. Back, uh, next week. Your, Go pers- ahead. your perspective uh, says, at least at this point, that this biofuel is very compatible with all of the jet planes that are in production and flying now. They're not going to have to reconfigure the planes. You just mentioned the, the difficulty of, of doing electricity, but, but uh, not having to redo all these planes, that's got to be a big advantage in order to succeed, yes? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's a market there for the foreseeable future for the next 20 years, 30 years. So you have this 2030 goal. What is that? What is the 2030 goal? And what? that's only, what, eight years away, seven years, actually. What What is involved in that, and what has to be achieved? Right, and that is the president's goal. And he, uh, like I said, set that out as the grand challenge uh, three years ago to find a way, a combination between the federal government and, and private industry to put that together to meet that three billion year gallons of fuel a year. Uh, and that will take a substantial amount of, of funding from from uh, private industry to make that happen. So our plant B, like I said, we, that's just part of our plant. Plant A we're running today is a smaller part. The plant B behind it, we've got uh, construction started there this year, and that will be a $2 billion project. Uh, the last I've seen for our estimates of it, and uh, similarly, the the plant in Houston, those all those are in this billion dollar scale uh, for those plants, and those are only uh, twenty five thousand or so barrels per day, or I'm sorry, two hundred and fifty thousand barrels a year. Let's put it in those terms. So okay. uh, between those two plants, we'll get to a half of that um, half a trillion gallon or half a billion gallon. Uh, so the three billion gallons that the, the president wants. So perhaps uh, we can get. So our, our CEO is, is committed to trying to get to one billion of the three billion that the president wants. So he like said that that is our internal goal. I think, that, I think that sounds. I think it sounds thing. realistic. I think it sounds it's realistic. Ambitious. It's, ambitious it's for sure. Realistic but ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We got to take a quick break, Gary. Uh, I have so many more things to ask you, ladies and gentlemen. It's Bruce Cook, and I'm on live tonight with Gary Grimes. We're talking about sustainable aviation fuel and what is changing our world. And it sure sounds exciting, Gary. We'll be right back. Don't go away, people. Angels Radio. AM830. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash spine Welcome back to the show. It's Bruce Cook, and it's the conversation tonight live on Angels Radio. My very special guest, Gary Grimes from World Energy, ladies and gentlemen. He is the Director of Sustainability and Technology, and we're talking about sustainable aviation fuel. And hopefully you're not just joining us because you sure missed a lot. And we don't have much time left, but I've got three really big questions for you, Gary. And the first one is, what are you doing about conversion technology? This is a, the, the whole system is going to have to be changed. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's the point. We want to keep the fossil fuel in the ground. So our, our conversion and our technology is, is scale at refinery scale, and it's refinery-type processes with different kinds of feedstocks. So we're using natural oil feedstocks going through a refinery process. And that particular process that we use is, is hydrocreating or hydrocracking, effectively. We, uh, we take hydrogen and at high temperature and pressure with catalysts, 
uh, and have it uh, intermixed with these feedstocks. And what it does is it attacks the hydrant, attacks oxygen inside those molecules and makes very expensive water and products for us. The product is the jet fuel, particularly as the focus. Although right now we make a lot of diesel. Our yields are predominantly diesel, renewable diesel. And we sell those to people who want low-carbon uh, diesel fuel. Uh, and there are a lot of people, more and more, uh, they're appreciating having uh, low-carbon fuels, particularly uh, delivery companies uh, and, uh, and, and railroads, actually, frankly, are trying to reduce their footprint as well. Uh, and the Marine is, is, uh, has an interest now in trying to reduce their carbon footprint as well. A lot of companies have made commitments recently. And they're now trying to find a way to live up to those commitments. And by changing to their fuels, instead of having to change their vehicles, uh, is a much more cost-effective way for them to, to approach uh, that goal. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're helping businesses meet those goals. That's a huge, huge difference. What about building a supply chain for this fuel to expand into all kinds of other avenues? Well, um, yes, <laughs> That's a good point. So, uh, so also coming off of our units are naphtha, renewable naphtha. Naphtha is a feedstock for plastics, effectively. So you can make a bioplastics uh, from these feedstocks as well. We just don't have a plastics industry in California. Uh, it would have to go probably to the Gulf Coast today or other countries uh, that do have interest in making low-carbon plastics. So, yeah, there, there are other things that you can do with, with these feedstocks. And this technology is there is there a um, a plan or a vision that this fuel would also uh, operate our automobiles? Well, uh, that's good. So the, the naphtha I was just talking about, referring to that we go into plastics, can also go into gasoline. So naphtha is a component of gasoline, but it's a very low octane component. And so we currently, and, and that's not going to plastics industry. It is going into gasoline in Southern California. Uh, as a blend of E85, so it goes uh, blends with 85% ethanol. That gives it lots of octane, and then our naphtha is put into it as well. So 15% of our naphtha, and I'll, I'll, you know, most people don't recognize that as an auto fuel uh, exactly, but uh, Indianapolis 500 cars uh, race on that when they have the the Grand Prix in Long Beach. They race on E85. It is really a very good fuel, and uh, at some point I, I hope we'll be running those uh, those race cars on our fuel here too. We work with a company called Pearson Fuels, uh, and they supply the vast majority of E85 in the state of California. So it, I think it should be a growing trend because uh, the price of the gasoline today is outrageous. I saw over seven dollars a gallon this week. I paid seven dollars. Uh, I paid seven dollars and two cents yesterday, and I went, "Am I seeing things?" Yeah, it's yeah, pretty, it's, it's it's not it's, fun. It's ridiculous. It's not fun. Yeah, and it's and, and it's, it's a matter of supply and demand. Frankly, uh, there's there is not as much supply uh, of gasoline uh, in California as there used to be because, they, like I said, we've converted over some of these refineries that used to supply gasoline. And so it's sitting pretty tight. Uh, and so um, I was just looking at that today because I, I figured that might come up. Uh, and it, it, there is uh, only about a week's supply in, in the tanks of the refineries. So it's, it's, it's not large. And then when you start to run low, they raise the price to keep them from running out. So it's one of those things that you'll never run out of gasoline. You'll never run out of crude oil. The price will get ridiculous, but you'll never run out. See, we're not hearing that. Really we're not hearing, Gary, we're not hearing that. But we are hearing Governor Newsom come on television saying that the oil companies are cheating us. What do you say to that? Oh, I never. I think it's a, it's a fairly um, transparent system. Uh, all these things are relatively transparent. It's pretty easy. You can go to the, the, the California Energy Commission's website, and you can see the, the current inventories that are in the tanks. And you can see what the demand is. Uh, you can see right now the tanks are continuing to drop. So we do have a lot of demand still. So we haven't balanced supply and demand. Uh, and so anybody that uh, takes uh, marketing classes understands that's what sets the price, is the balance of supply and demand. And, it, and you can make all kinds of stories about all the people working in back rooms, but that really doesn't set the price. We do have free markets in, in, in this country. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it was... It, there's been some changes to the freedom of those markets because we have a lot of government involvement and things, a lot of extra things that we do, uh, and then get the cost a little higher for everything because of, of government involvement. But ultimately, um, we get the job done. And, and 
So that's the point I was going to try to bring for you as well, is this public-private um, partnership between the federal government and private industry to try to make these fuels. It's got a long ways to go, and, and there has to be a lot of innovation still. So we just got started. I said we had sort of Wright Brothers status, but the innovation is just beginning. So the solution to, to high prices of anything, uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It, it will find a solution. You raise the prices high enough of anything, people will go out and it will create innovation. And innovators will, will pop out of the work. They'll find solutions, and, and markets will bring it back down to something that's reasonable. We've got to have fuels and energy that's low cost for everybody. I think that's the ultimate goal. Uh, nobody's out to, to make you know incredible profits here. Uh, they all just want to meet a market. And, and so I think, yeah. Very, very well put. I was just going to say well put. I didn't want to stop you, but we are, we're almost out of time. We only have a minute left. Sure. Do you have a website? Do you have something where if people want to find out more information that you can share? Sure. Uh, our company website is worldenergy.net, not dot .com, but dot .net. And it's going to be refreshed here probably in a few weeks. We're going to do some, some fresh, freshening up of it and put a little more information on it, what, what our current work is. Again, we're more focused on jet fuel than anything else. All I can um, you can also get a lot of information from the Department of Energy in this area. You can search for the SAF Grand Challenge. SAF meaning Sustainable Aviation Fuel, and that's the acronym that's that stuck to this fuel these days is SAF. Right, right. Gary Grimes, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you for the information. I think it's been very eye-opening and enlightening for a lot of people that, and also encouraging that, that great things are happening, that Innovation in the minds of our scientists and technicians and people like yourself is going to save our planet. So thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen. That's the end of our show. Have a good week. Be healthy. And come back again next Sunday for the conversation with me, Bruce Cook. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>